0: Thank you for listening to the Successful Life podcast. We have no dues or fees, so please refer to this podcast to a friend. Make sure you rate, review, and hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Roland. Santos, and he is, he builds, right, (laughs) so most people think it's for Roland Santos, that's what I thought, Um, so Roland builds outbound sales and marketing strategies for other entrepreneurs, Um, he's got a fascinating story from where he came from, the things he's done, and in success, successful both successes and failures, so Roland, I want you to walk the audience through the, what you walked me through the first time I heard your story, because I'm pretty damn sure they're going to be wowed just as much as
1: I was. <laughs> I mean, first of all, thanks for having me, Corey. Much yes, appreciated. Absolutely, dude. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, my, I mean, look, everyone has their, their successes. Everyone has their fails in a, uh, in business. That's part of life. Um, for me, probably the, I think the point where we first started really talking um was sharing probably my story probably from the last couple of years so i was I was quite a successful uh businessman i don 't really like to use the word entrepreneur but it 's there uh, a successful businessman uh, and i I made an investment on in a couple of businesses and I lost everything So um, when you say
0: everything tell me, you know what is that you know when you say everything literally everything or like you lost. Uh, everything and had you know some money, what does that look like?
1: so for me, I lost my house uh all the car uh, your cars um the only money I had left in my bank account was forty nine pence, which is uh, many dollars second, how much is that in in american dollars um forty nine pence that's like what maybe what fifteen cents twenty cents oh shit okay at least you had nothing my my relationship broke down. Um, It was just my, I lost my self-esteem. I lost my confidence. I lost, as a human being completely, I just felt like a complete failure. When they talk about rock bottom, I, there was, there was no, I couldn't even afford food. Like it was nothing, nothing at all. I couldn't, everything was shut down. Uh, Bank accounts were shut down. Uh, Yeah, like, literally nothing the clothes on my back was probably what we were left with and um probably enough to fill up a the back of a small boot and a small trailer and the most of that stuff was was my boy's stuff I've got two boys um so most of it was like the kids clothes because when like things like debt collectors and that come they don't they don't take the kids stuff they take everything else (laughs) (laughs) now how Um, long
0: how long did this Pro, how long did this process take was this a couple of, you said a couple of years um i think you said a couple of years couple of years ago or, or it took a couple of years for this to, for this yeah. to happen
1: so th- this happened on the fi- the final sort of like d-day as i call it was um 11 a.m on the 24th of may 2017 oh, wow. um, that's when we officially left where we were we lived in a place called henley-on-thames which is a a beautiful um, part of the UK. that's very, very affluent. It's a very affluent area. Um, so you can imagine, kind of like you know, this, the, the kind of lifestyle we had. Right. <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah. So it's uh it's but the pro the process itself. If I go back a little bit further, I invested into business probably in the November before that. Okay. So we're talking a good six seven months. I would invested in. I had some money. I'd invested into a construction company. Um, and I didn't. It's it's my fault. I didn't do enough due diligence on it. I was kind of on a bit of a roll with a number of different businesses. They were all starting to gain traction. It was all doing really well. Everything was kind of you know life was good. Life was great. Um, and so I I put some money into this, and it it was like a sinking ship. Uh, it's the the guy had a lot of debts which I hadn't basically uh, he basically hidden from me. And I hadn't looked enough into it, and it was just uh yeah, it just started this whole ricochet of events and sequences that every time I tried to fix it, it made it a hundred times worse and accelerated the the negative impact that was happening so when I had someone that was going, right, you know um we try and pay this this bill off for this debtor um for the for the company and stuff like that and we get five more debtors that come up and go. Well, if you've paid that person, then you've got to be able to pay us. So, money was just going out like it was easier for me to flush it down the toilet. Put it that. Way. So well,
0: by and this was due to you being tied with this guy, right? You were in business with him, so therefore you it was almost like a marriage. You took on his debt, so to
1: speak. Yes. Yeah, so so he he he. I had I was majority shareholder, so I had fifty one percent of the shares. Um, and I just walked into it. Now, like I said, totally my fault. I didn't, I didn't do enough due diligence on it. So the accounts that I'd had were not the actual true accounts. But by the time I'd found out and saw that it was too late, all the legal stuff was on there. I had to take ownership of it. And ultimately, it brought me down completely. And it took about six months for it to happen. And each time it happened, it chipped away at my confidence. I was a very, very confident confident guy like I could walk into a boardroom and just you know wouldn't even <laughs> phase anything. Um however having a an argument with my two kids, however, that would always be a different story. But <laughs> <laughs> they always seem to win some man, right? <laughs> they do. They're amazing negotiators, amazing <laughs> negotiators. Yes. Um, complete completely relentless. <laughs> but yeah, so it it's that's basically where it all started. And we we moved back to Bristol. Um, and we were staying, staying in my father's, in my father's room. Um, we had nowhere to go. So nothing at all. Um, and I was trying to work out where and how to rebuild and what the next steps were really. Um, everyone was telling me to just get a job and forget about running my own business and all that sort of stuff. And I was kind of like, I was, det- I was just pig headed enough to go, no. Sure. I was going to figure out a way to do it. I just needed some time uh, and i I battled a lot like i went I became very very withdrawn uh You didn't really talk to many people, didn't talk to anyone, didn't want to have anything to do with anyone at all. I was a very angry person, angry with the world, and I blamed the world for essentially what was always my fault and my mistake. Um so anyway, it, it escalated further. Um my father ended up kicking us out. We had a big disagreement. He kicked us out. Um and we were just homeless. We had nowhere to go, nothing to do. And this was you um, and your two boys? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we yeah, All so three. we had Yes, yeah, so we had nowhere to nowhere to go. Um and it wasn't until my, my sister eventually took us in um and we spent the next four months. Uh, the boys had um, we'd got on a little mattress so they could sleep on the floor and I slept on like a like a mattress topper in her front room so we were just basically living in her front room for the next four months um, and it was just somewhere somewhere safe obviously it's, it was it's family um, so it was okay it was nice uh, it wasn't ideal but hey you know you just got to you got to roll with the punches sometimes you really have uh, and it but it allowed me the mentality that my my younger sister had was very much mine in that you know you work for it you'll get it you know you just got to keep grinding, you got to keep going, and keep going and eventually it's going to happen so I was able to put the boys into school <clears throat> which was always helpful um so they weren't constantly around me because I was I was still quite negative at that point I wasn't in a great frame of mind you know it's I dealt a lot with with suicidal thoughts an awful lot and there were many many times where i literally thought if if i end it now they're going to be better off everyone's going to be better off it's going to be the easier thankfully i didn't i'm glad you know, i'm glad, <laughs> I'm yeah, glad i well, didn't you know? i'm glad you didn't too um you know, a lot of anxiety a lot um but just, just loads of self doubt and stuff like that i still suffer with it today you know it, it does happen um, quite a lot more than probably i I admit, if I'm honest, uh, but yes, it was just a tough time, and all I had was I had my camera, uh, my uh, my photography camera. That's all I had, and I was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a media business. I knew sales and marketing, so before all this happened, I grew businesses, predominantly in the restaurant. So tr- I started from the restaurant trade, and then I kind of like worked my way through. So. I've developed, a, contributed about 100, 109 million pounds worth of growth sales in the last eight years. Um, I'm not sure what that is in dollars. Me either. It's, <laughs> it's probably quite a lot though, you know? Okay. It's, it's up there. And that's across 10 different industries in about six different countries. Wow. I was always renowned for, I was known as a troubleshooter. So if a business was in trouble, I would go in and turn it around. And there were many case studies that I've got of things that I've kind of turned around and stuff like that. So I always knew how to grow businesses. It was just unfortunate that the biggest, my biggest failure was my own business, but thankfully it was my own business. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and not a client's, you know, um, and that's why it's 109 million not more because I had to deduct obviously what I lost. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm very honest on that. I'm very honest on that. So you
0: mentioned something a moment ago about you know going through the anxiety and and suicidal thoughts and the struggles of even now being an entrepreneur, I think, after talking to as many people as I have and my own personal- you know process is I think a lot of us go through that yeah and and I think it's because this is not an easy thing to do. being an entrepreneur is not easy, people think it you know you you own your own business so life is just you know this different life that's so much better than everybody else you gotta work really fucking hard to be in business for yourself really fucking hard and you got to take a bunch of punches to the mouth and if you don't get back up then you know you'll just get run the fuck over so sorry I, i just wanted to interject that because it i think if the, you know, the people that are listening, I want them to understand if you're thinking about starting a business, guess what? It's not going to be as Andy says, rainbows and whatever unicorns or whatever he says, you know, it, at the same time, it is very rewarding once you get that traction that you spoke about earlier. So,
1: yeah. All right, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. So, I mean, it's, it's an important thing. Like it's, you know, it's I, for me, for me, I kind of, I've always, I've always been in that been in this space but maybe that's something we'll we'll touch on later as to as to why i'm as crazy as i am (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so back to the camera so uh i basically i i could do photography but i wasn't what i considered a photographer okay you know and i think there's a big difference between taking a picture and taking a picture yes my wife is a no. photographer, so yes, exactly uh, without it. a doubt, you're right. <laughs> without a doubt. Yep. I, I I know you understand. That's why I said it like that. So yes. for me I was like, right, how do I become good? That someone will actually pay me. That was my thought. Was like, how can I how can I make money? And I think if you lots of people look at problems and they go, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. But if you change it to go, how can I do this? your brain will start figuring out things and stuff that you could do. Like I had, I came with a list of ideas, you know, my, my boys are pretty, they're pretty good looking. So I was like, right. I can put them into modeling. I can, I can go back to being a chef or something like that short term. I can go and sweet. The, like, there's loads of different things you can do. And for me, I was like, I want something creative. I need to exercise that, that muscle again. Um, because that's how I, I, was successful with business before was I was creative enough to look at the problem from a different dynamic, tackle it on a different angle and nine times out of 10, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. It makes, (laughs) but that makes, yeah, it makes total sense. You know, so, so I started taking photos and I started off with very simple things. I decided I was going to go and target restaurants. Um, and that was, I suppose my first niche, like we, you know, we, we, we touched a little bit earlier when we were just talking, um about kind of niches and stuff like that and that's where i was like right let me just focus on on food i understand food i know that um you know i know that trade i know i speak their language it it's a natural step to start so so i started making food and just taking pictures and experimenting with light and going on youtube and watching loads of youtube videos and talking to friends of mine and people that were photographers and going outside and shooting like landscape photography and stuff like that. So I understood how lighting worked and then I'd spent hours on Lightroom learning how to color grade and stuff like that. And I just became, I became obsessed is probably the easiest way for me to put it in just this one task. And I did this solidly for a month and I, my goal was to hit to shoot 10,000 photos. That was my goal. And I, I actually have them down in my in my front room now. I have my ten thousand ten thousandth photo, my ten thousand one and my ten thousand and and third. Sorry, yeah. First and second, sorry. And they're hanging up on my wall.
0: This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue. House Call Pro is your all in one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Awesome. What are those? What are the pictures of? None of
1: them are of food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so where you started at day
1: one, it has nothing to do with ten thousand pictures later. So absolutely have seen nothing, and, that, and that's a big lesson for business anyway. Yes, um, is that what you start off with? What you think is the right thing is not always the right thing. <sighs> my three are actual landscapes, and there one is a one is a, one is street photography, uh, which is one of my boys, okay. and it's a black and white, and it's a it's a graffiti of George Michael. Um, in Bristol, they're quite big on graffiti and stuff like that. So when you see a good one, you have to take the picture quickly because normally within 24 hours it gets painted over. No shit. So it's wow. like, and this was just—it was—it was. I remember it vividly. It was pouring down with rain. My little one was with me. My other one kind of moved ahead. Um, you know, he was with his mum. We were kind of like out for the day, kind of working out some stuff, and and shared the umbrella. And I just literally just went bang. Just instinctively had that moment to just. Take it and I looked and it was 10,001, and I was like, okay, cool. All right, I got that one. And the other two are of a sunrise and um, of uh, the blue hour. The blue which, hour, which is the hour before sunrise or the hour after sunrise. It's when everything's that beautiful midnight blue. So we call it go, the golden hour. Autumn, my wife calls it the golden hour. Yeah, so there's the golden hour, which is when the sun's just before the sun's coming up. So, just before that, this is where, let's say, the hour before that. Right. Not a lot of people see it because most people are asleep, but <laughs> I get up at 4 a.m. So, you know, I right, see it all the right. time. There is a beautiful, beautiful blue glow around the whole world. And it's just as, it's that bit in between complete darkness and that golden hour. And if you you're in the right place and you go out to the city and stuff like that, you can get the most beautiful pictures coming out of it. Yes. Um, And I just, I happened to be up. I'd been up at 4am. I'd gone out. The boys were staying with them. um, um, Yeah. And I'd gone out and I was like, right. Okay. And I saw it and I was walking along and my intention was to go and shoot a different photo in a different place at golden hour. But I literally just walked along and I saw the river and and kind of these crazy. I'll I, I WhatsApp you the picture because it's um it's a it's a pretty crazy one, and it just looks stunning. And I took that picture. So that one, the sunset one, and the other one, I sold for a hundred pounds each. Shit. So, so yeah, ninety nine pounds. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what that is in in dollars. Like what? Maybe is it eighty? I don't, I don't know, know it. but it's more than what
0: you started out with the 49 cent pin. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so when you sell the pic, sorry, when you sell the picture, do you, you keep the original Yep. and then, but you sell like a, a print or you sell the whole rights
1: to it or how do, how does that work? No. So I'm, I'm, I like to barter a lot. Like okay. I will barter on anything I possibly can. Okay. Not because, not because I'm, you know, I'm stingy with money and stuff like that, but just because it's a good exercise that I think everyone should learn how to do, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and okay, you'd be, and you'd be surprised what you can get away with as well and what you can develop. And It's it's how people did stuff before money, you know, you used to a chicken, a goat, right? All that, you know, well, it's the same thing. Um, and some parts of the when and you'll understand when you when when I talk about my, my childhood as to why I like bartering so much. Um, so I barter with a printer and said, Look. I haven't got any money, but I've got these three photos <clears throat> that I want to sell. What do you need that I can provide you that you can do me these prints for free? And he said, well, what, do you, what have you done before? So we talked about the whole story and he said, you know, what? I'm having real problems getting sales. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll build you a simplified sales program that you can follow step by step. And you can do it on a weekly basis and it would be like two, three tasks every single day. And in return, you print me three or four copies of these, of these photos in a high grade thing. And he's like, yeah, fine. No problem. Handshake deal done. I built the program. He did that. And then I literally went to a couple of tourists. because Bristol's got big tourist spots. Okay. And I had the prints there. And I was like, they're a hundred pounds. And you just it was like, done. Now that led on, then, so I was like, "Hang on, wait a minute, my my light bulb's going now." You know, the seed had been planted; it was time to build the forest. You yeah. know, it's uh, <clears throat> so I started going back to these tourist spots, and with my camera, and talking to tourists and saying, "Hey, look, you know, you've got this iconic bridge in Bristol called the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Lots of people are taking photos, but they're not great photos." So I used to have my phone and i have my camera and i would charge them 20 pounds per photo to take the picture edit it on my phone and email it to them there and then wow and i would drop the boys off to school i would go up there on a good day when i knew there was going to be lots of tourists and i would literally sell and for every 10 no's i got one yes and that was 20 pounds and that meant that we could eat. I could put electric and power into the into the flat. Um, yeah, and it was, and that's how it kind of how I started to kind of build it up. And I used to, I used to, or I just give some money to my sister. Okay. You were still living
0: there at the time, right?
1: Yeah. So we, were, yeah, so we were there for like. So this was over the course of like four months. Okay. Right? All right. Yes. So I I was doing all these things, and I was like, I was. I was still going to these, all these restaurants and coffee shops and trying to get to do contracts with them for marketing. And I think after about the 20th one of someone saying no to me, I sat in this coffee shop and I just went by any chance, do you need any marketing done? (laughs) I can do photography. I can do this. And the owner literally went actually, yes, we do. He's like, how much do you charge? I was like, what's your budget? So he said, and it was it was it was uh we agreed on a price and it was enough. And I said, Right, I need you to pay me three months up front because I've been messed around before. And he was like, Okay, fine, paid three months up front. A week later, I put the deposit down on a flat for me and the boys. We moved into a flat and the process started. Then it was like, right, I had one one contract in the can. Then the next week I got a second contract, then a third, then a fourth. And they started building, building, building. And before I knew it, I was scaling very fast, which is what I knew how to do. Um, so we moved out on my sister's and, you know, things were good, things were better. And it turns out that the the coffee shop owner then decided that he knew I'd been in restaurants and stuff like that and what I'd done and and grown. And he said, look, I know you haven't got loads of money, but what about if you stop doing this, stop doing the media and I give you shares in the coffee shop business and you run the coffee shop business for me and then we'll split the shares. And I was like, this is a no brainer. Let's do it. Let's just get it done. <clears throat> so I did that. So the coffee shop, when I took it over was making about four and a half thousand a week. Okay. Uh, which is, it's okay. For a coffee shop sounds pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nine months later, it was doing 19 and a half thousand pounds a week. Wow. And I had three deals on the table to then expand it and ready to go. Well, that's that's where it got interesting. Uh, we were living, you know, we were doing well, we were doing better, things were budgeting, things were good. Uh the boys were happy, I was getting at a better place, getting my confidence back and things like that. Um the My business partner at the time then, <clears throat> excuse me, sold the business from underneath me. The coffee shop? The coffee shop. Sold it. Um, again, I'd made another mistake. I hadn't looked at the legalities of it, of what the contract was. It went to court. It got thrown out. Um, I had no rights. Effectively, I'd worked for free for nine months, pretty much. Oh, shit. So then I was in a real pickle. This was about the time that i kind of joined arte actually okay <laughs> um and so i was in this kind of like mess and i was i spent the summer trying to fight my way through this so this was only this was this was 2018 now so it's only a year ago not long ago right so i was fighting and fighting and fighting and i went back to this state of camera tourists 20 pounds go 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 and started building back up i was doing I'd work in car washes. I'd do whatever I could to try and keep the lights on. I think I lived off beans and rice for like a, you know, the next year, pretty much. You know, the boys had really good food. I lived off beans and rice and, and noodles right. <laughs> you know, to, to make sure that it was fine. And each time was, I was battling that mentality of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I should just give it in, find a job do this, do that. Like all those negative thoughts that you kind of get. And I had to really suffocate all of that out and almost close myself off from anyone and everyone that had any negative approach to me whatsoever, which means I cut off all of my family, what was left of them. Sure. Um, A lot of friends that I had, they were gone and it basically, my circle became me and the boys and a few people um, within within the UK that were in Arte because we had similar mindsets. They understood. Now, let me ask you what, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people don't know how
0: to cut those negative influences out, whether they be family or, or a friend from that you've had for 20 or 30 years. And can you just kind of go into just for a moment what it did for you by shedding those people and kind of joining up with people with the same mindset, so
1: it wasn't an easy process. It never is because it's there's a lot of emotion involved when you're making that sort of decision. And when I did it, the although for maybe a day or so, and it and this is this is not me being harsh. Probably for about a day. I felt really bad thinking what I'd done and then when I woke up the next day I just felt light Mm. I felt like even though I had a lot of pressures I had debt collectors banging on my door I we were you know living off effectively five ten pounds a day because I might not always get that that money in because it might rain or it might you know, live in the UK at the end of the day it rains all the time you know sure 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 <clears throat> you know so there was lots of adversity going on but cutting those people out and pushing them to not pushing them is the wrong word moving them to an acceptable distance that they were no longer impacting me on a daily or weekly basis allowed me to breathe and. My boys felt it, and I felt it, and the people that I was surrounded with then, they felt as well, just by the way that I would talk, my body language when I was on social media, the way that I was able to get up in the morning and just focus solely on my morning routine and my evening routine. You know, those were key elements that anchored me, which I always thought I was doing well at until I until I pulled those people out. And it was because of those two routines is how I was able to pull those people out. So having that, that evening routine solidified and that morning routine, you know, solid discipline there naturally over time I was progressing. And whilst I didn't want to have that difficult conversation, they were naturally moving away from me as well. Anyway, because they felt awkward and going, well, look, he's doing his own thing now. So when it came to me saying, hey, look, I just, I can't come around anymore. You have to give these, they're almost you no know, excuses, but reasons why you can't go out on a Friday night with them. And it can't be related to work. Right. right. Look, you know, I was going to look, you know, the boys aren't very well. You know, for me, I had an, an easy kind of escape ghost <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> I'm not
0: going to uh, lie. I would, would line if I'd say I had not used that before.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like, or it was, you know, they'd be like, oh, do you want to go for a coffee? I've got a meeting. You know, or, you know, I'll try and make it if I can. But so you almost like you, you feed it that you don't 100% commit to them. So they understand that if you don't turn up, they're not going to be as upset with you. Sure. And it allows you enough time to basically just step back without it being an issue. Over time they then just stop asking. Right. So it's a progression. It's a progression. Yeah, you can't... I think this is the mistake that a lot of people make because you hear it all the time is, you know, your your success level is the five people that you go around and stuff like that and cut everyone out and do this. Like, so in everyone's heads, it's going, what, so I need to, like, not talk to my family now? Like, just pick up the phone and so I'm not talking to you anymore? No. It's a, everything's progressional, Mm -hmm. everything you have to do bit by bit, but you have to start with you first on making that decision that those people, whilst you still want them in your life, because they're family, their blood, their friends, whatever they are, they need to be on a very big outer circle. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) And they're ones that you meet up with maybe once a month, once a quarter, Christmas, you know, that's the easiest one for like family meet them at Christmas, you meet them at Easter. You guys have got Thanksgiving and you know, 4th of July and stuff like that. So there you go. That's when you do your family stuff. Sure. Would the rest of the time. Order? Yeah. Yeah. You know, leave them alone. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, it, makes, yeah, it makes total sense. The same with the same with friends. You know, if you go out every Friday and Saturday, start going out just on the Friday or the Saturday. And then over time, go out every other Saturday. Then, once a month then once you know every couple of months and you slowly progress through it hasn't got to be this whole cut everything dead right now like i don't believe in that at all like because i've had that happen to me you know when i lost everything it was bang one minute we woke up with money next minute we woke up with nothing and it was and it's that short sharp shock whilst for some people it can be really good for the majority of us It's, it's, it's a short term way of failing again and failing a hundred times harder than you did the first time because your body and your mind hasn't adjusted to the situation that you're currently at. So it then can't adjust to then regrowing and rebuilding. Sure. Wow. Okay. That was a long winded way of me saying, (laughs) saying, don't cut them off. Straight away Right. To the right. Tree. <laughs> right.
0: That, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I think it's a great way to look at it and a great approach for sure. So I, yeah, yeah. All right. So so you mentioned um you mentioned the childhood. Yeah. I
1: want to go there for a moment. Yeah. So <clears throat> this I think is where where I'm wired a little bit differently. Okay. Quite a few people so I grew up I was born and bred in a circus family so do know what the circus not oh not circus circus family right circus family yes yeah. so not not like a not like they have now with like circus soleil and stuff like that but I grew up with elephants lions tigers bears camels horses like trapeze artists clowns jugglers like proper traditional circus like real circus okay so the traditional way there is that it's treated as a business so everyone works from the moment you can walk and you can pick something up you're expected to do some form of labor to help the family out so it was your fam
0: your family's business so it was your immediate like mom dad brother sister it was the, it was a family business
1: Yep, yeah, family business yeah. okay so, so my my dad's my dad's one of like 10 kids oh wow a big family um specifically designed by my grandfather to have a troupe for the circus sure <laughs> <laughs> we calculated it <laughs> yeah. we worked uh, is, oh, everything's, everything's business related in my family, everything um, there's, no, there's no emotion in anything it's all business related, <laughs> it's carefully calculated um, so yeah so they they all, they all had their different areas they, you know, the eldest would do this the second oldest would do this, some would be in charge of finance some would be in charge of training <clears throat> my grandfather was a phenomenal sales and marketing genius and this is back in the day, obviously, long before internet. I think internet was probably just kind of coming on the scene, but this is before I was born. Um, obviously, certainly no social media, no Twitter, no Facebook, no, no Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, everything was newspaper, radio, and leaflets. So you would, he would work two, three grounds ahead, and he would start the process of marketing and what people now call a sales funnel. He okay. would start that on a manual point of view, three towns ahead. Okay. All right. So when we're in one town, there would be people, he would have different steps and it was like the warm up. So the third town furthest away, the circus is coming. It's like a little taster. What's going to expect? Then two weeks in, you suddenly see more posters and a little bit more, you know, maybe a little newspaper ad or something like that. Then a week before going in your know, artists on the radio and you know, all that sort of stuff. And then by the time we used to come into the town, oh my God, Corey, like we did proper parades. What, and what is that? What is that? What do you mean? So we would we, we would pull in overnight. <clears throat> um, and this this always used to be my favorite part. I never used to like anything else. I used to just love this, right? So we used to pull in at night and we'd build the big top through the middle of the night. It took us probably about four or five hours to build a big top, a tent big enough for about a thousand people. Okay. So then we'd sleep for a little bit. We'd go to bed at maybe midnight. Um, get up at, at four or five o'clock. This is where it all all comes into play now. Right. Um, and then we would get ready. We would get our best costumes on. Um, we had these performance like trailers and stuff like that that were pulled by horse and carts. Um, or you know, my my mum used to sit on an elephant. My dad used to sit on a camel, and it's actually how they were married as well. They were married on an elephant and a camel. Um, And we used to parade through the town, through the main high street. No shit. A music band,s clowns, people would be giving out like, uh, like tickets, like two for one tickets, stuff like that. It was always that, you know, trying to get people hooked in, Um, you know, there'd be clowns. They were doing balloon modeling. They'd be doing juggling. Like, you know, I was like maybe, probably about five was when I really kind of started training. So I could do, a little bit, not much juggling, but I could do two balls. So I would do a little bit as well. And it'd be like, Oh my God, you know, he's doing something as well. And it was that real family section, you know, and we would build it up to fit And our whole goal was to fill the tent every single night. We used to do two shows a night, Monday through to Friday. And then on Saturday we did three shows Sunday, we did two shows. We, and then we finished at six o'clock. We were pulled down by 10 o'clock, we were on to the next town in the evening. So we used to sleep through the night. So I used to sleep in the, in like the cubby hole underneath the, the cab in the lorry. That was, my, that was pretty much my bed. So we used to sleep in between grounds, you know? Right. Um, but we lived in a caravan as well. So it, is, it wasn't quite as bad as that. Um, but that was the life. And that was my life up until I was about 14, 13, 14, really. Now, what about s- school? Did you go to school? So we were we had a teacher that used to travel around with us, okay, and he taught us the basics of English, maths, writing stuff like that. And we used to travel abroad a lot as well. So there was times that they couldn't get visas for me, and at the time it was only my eldest sister. Uh, we were, there, there were me and my two cousins were the only ones on the show. So we had to go to boarding school then, and we went to boarding school. It was obviously you know you stay there, you get up at this time, you, you go my school was run by nuns. So it was, oh. you know, back when you had the cane and <laughs> I used to get in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble when I was a kid. <laughs> um, we lived, um, the, the school was in a castle. It's called Alton Castle and typical castle. It had like secret passages and stuff like that. So I remember one time I got caught um, at midnight with my cousin and we'd gone out of our dorm, gone down the hall, into the library, pulled this book, book, this book off this bookshelf and it opened this door and went down the spiral staircase that took us to the kitchen. What? And it, this, this true story, it's still there now. The castle, this castle's actually now reopened as a, as a school again. Um, and it was like an escape route for back when, back in medieval times. But it went through to the kitchen. So, we, me and my cousin used to sit there and eat chalk ices. What? So chalk ices, it's, it's like a block of ice cream just covered in chocolate. No kidding. Like a block of like vanilla ice cream, about pretty about that big. Yeah. Covered in chocolate. And you know, they were they were all the rage back in the eighties. So we used to sit there and we would just eat until pretty much we threw up. Like that was that was how anyway. One one night we were a little bit louder. Um the nun came down. I was kind of like passed out on top of the freezer because I'd eaten so much, so many chalk ices. My cousin had scarpered. He'd done a runner, so I got caught, and I literally got I got the cane. Like, so, and from then on, I was marked as like a troublemaker. But what was interesting was I was always making money even as a kid. So, because there was all these rich kids that were there, so I used to make money off a lot of them. But I'd find out they'd want chalk ices. I'd sneak down and I'd make them chalk ices and get them, and I'd charge them like fifty p. So. By the end of the end of the term, when my parents came to pick us back up, I'd go to I produce money to my mum and go, "This is my share of the family business." She'd be like, "What have you done?" So I used to tell her. She used to laugh her head off. My mum was a very special person. My dad was like, I could tell he admired it, but he was obviously quite quite annoyed at the same <laughs> time. <laughs>
0: That's too funny.
1: So I was I was a crazy kid, and this was everywhere I went. I was always known like my main job in the show when I was younger was to sell flags in the interval. So we'd have these little circus flags and they're nothing special, like, you know, plastic and nothing fancy. And I was quite a cute little kid. You know, I had, um, I had long blonde hair, big brown eyes. You know, I was just big smile, that sort of thing. So whilst everyone was selling flags for a, a pound, I used to sell them for two pounds. Okay. Because i literally look and I'd be like this, wave them and be like, two pounds? <laughs> and because and you were cute, you would get the two pounds. Yeah, I got away with murder, man, every time. Got away with murder. Um, So, again, the same thing. I used to – and we used to have to, – it was a very business-orientated environment. So, we took the flags in and they used to be counted in. So we counted out to us. So, we had 20 flags out. How many flags do we have come back in? If we had 10 come back in, then we should have 10 pounds in our pocket. So that's exactly what I did. In my other pocket, I used to go round to my mum and go, "Here's the other ten pounds," and she'd be like. At first, they were really mad. They were like, "What's going on?" What happened was they then realised they could put the price up, so they put the price up for everyone. So the whole family benefited in the long run by me being cheeky.
0: So what's interesting about that, right? So, so it's like the guy that ran the four minute mile. Nobody did it until he did it. Roger Bannister. Yeah. same thing, you you made that happen because you, well you, you, you I guess you just tried it at one or you, or you saw it there could be uh an opportunity there, and so you believed you could get the two dollars, yeah. and you did, and so in in reality you know so you
1: set the you set the bar for everybody. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, and it, and it just and it just develops my education or my real education came from that life. Because when I was old enough, I used to go out, we used to call it billing, basically marketing. I used to go out with my grandfather and he would teach me how to get people's attention and how to build up some kind of like, you know, uh, what's the word, energy with things coming and stuff like that. And how much effort, I mean, this guy used to, I get up at four o'clock, he used to get up at three o'clock, right? And he wouldn't go to bed till one o'clock in the morning like he slept like two three hours a night, like I swear to God um one of the hardest workers i've ever ever known even now you know and he's he died many, many years ago um but yeah, like just work ethic came from him, marketing came from him, finance came from my mother, she was very, very good with money, and she always taught me to only spend twenty percent you know the rest you you pay all the bills and then you put all the money back into the business, but keep that 20% for you. And within that 20% split it out here, then everywhere. And I developed these systems now that to make life a lot easier with, with banking systems and things. Um, My father was very much, we had a very much a working relationship and it always has been, even up until this day, it's it's still a working relationship. You know, if we, if we don't, need each other for something business related we we can go for months without talking to each other you know (laughs) it's uh it's just that's just the life i grew up in um but we travel the world and you said you did that till you were 14 right yeah about 30 about 13 14 but we you know it's i've got i've got a picture on my wall it's a magazine um and it's my boys call it the legacy wall because it's as we do stuff, it's we're going to start putting stuff up, and it's it's two paragraphs about all the accomplishments that my parents and family achieved when they were in the circus, and it it starts like this. Performed in front of the royal uh, the uh, royal family three times at the royal variety show. Wow. Performs in front of the prince and princess of Monaco. Summoned by the sultan of Oman won the world championships three years um royal royal opera shows pantomimes literally it just the list just kept and there wasn't even half of what they actually did it had to be summed up into two paragraphs so that when you come into my house that's the first thing that you see (laughs) that's pretty damn cool though and it's a reminder to me to push yeah to be better yeah because i've got a lot to live up to (laughs) no kidding that's insane
0: wow okay so what did you do after that age 14 you you then went to like a regular school or no yes
1: yeah, so, yes yeah, so i went into regular school i was a i was a good athlete um because of like the acrobatics and you know, the trapeze and that sort of stuff so i went into gymnastics um, athletics, rugby, I played rugby for a long time, um and just you know lived i suppose what's called a normal life yeah um you know, I then you know i went I got into chefing, I could always cook, my grandmother taught us to cook, that was just you know, I remember popping peas and rolling meatballs, you know at like five years old, sure. you know, that that was you know all the kids used to do it, you know she was very much a feeder and an entertainer, so. It was, you know, we used to sit down and have these massive, massive meals, like the whole show, all the artists, everyone. So we were talking thirty, forty people a night. <sighs> she used to cook for three times a day. So breakfast, dinner, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's all she did. So it was kind of natural for me to go into restaurants. Right. Because makes sense. I knew how to cook, I knew how to entertain. And I was like, what else do I do? So I you know, I, start, I started the process. I became a chef um, and I and I worked my way up. I went... Um, I remember sitting in front with my head chef and he said, look, you're a good chef. You could be a great chef, but I think you're better front of house. And I took that as an insult. Hmm. I was like, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why, why am I not good enough to be in the kitchen? And he said, no. He said, you're designed to be a leader. He said, you're not designed to be in the back. You're designed to be in the front and... Build things and you could tell that so i made the transition i went in front of house um and worked up to to operations level and when i first got hold of the first business the first restaurant chain i grew it from 30 million to 90 million dang that's that's a pretty sizable difference and that was that was the first one i was like i had all the ideas i'd been hounding with them and hounding with them and i was waiting and waiting and constantly learning and honing the skills and really trying to understand how it works. And this was still pre social media. Like we hadn't social media yet. Right. So it was still newspapers, PR, um, radio, TV, like all that kind of like traditional stuff, word of mouth, biggest thing, word of mouth, referrals and things like that. And I used to have these systems that when a new customer would come in, they'd never been to the restaurant they used to have a different colored napkin that was put down on the table.
0: And how would and you know? The
1: manager? How would you know by you just ask them? No. So, so if we, if I brought someone, let's say I brought someone in, okay. so they weren't on a list cause you had a booking list. So they had to be kind of booked in and we always used to mark if they were a regular or new customer. So okay, if they were right. a new customer, they had a red napkin and that was the server would go, the host would go down, put the red napkin down. Everyone then knew that was a brand new customer. Everyone in the whole restaurant knew that was a brand new customer. The chef knew, the bartender knew, everyone. So it was extra special attention on top of what we already did. Extra attention went to this one person. When they finished their meal, the manager, whoever the manager was on duty, would come and say, and they'd be specific about the meal they had. We would know what they had, whether it was you know a ribeye steak, medium rare. Uh, with your know, pom de frites, where it was garlic mayonnaise, all those we knew the menu. We had to know the menu and what they had. We go, hey, look, did you, do you have a chance? Do you want to try like this, like a, you know, the ice cream or the brownie or something like that? Oh no, I'm full. I tell you what I do. Business card comes out. Your next visit, I'm gonna give you 50 percent off on the brownie. Are you sure? Yeah, 100. Boom. Write it down. Here's my card. Show next time you come in. Show this to the person. And then they'll get it sorted. So they'd come back in, let's say a couple of weeks later. I got this card from Rowe. Give me 50% off a brownie. Of course, no problem. Come right on in. Come right on in. So they sit down. The napkin was orange by this point. Okay. Yeah. Or like a yellowy kind of color. So everyone knew this was a second visit. Same thing again. Same process. Did You come in again. hey, did, did you have time to kind of just, did you have time to try the wings or, you know, we picked something that was there. Sure. No, I didn't get a chance. I tell you what, you come in again and I'll, you can have them free. You can have them absolutely free. Here you go. No problem. So they cut again, same thing again. They come in a third time, Go you know, here's the, I've got these free wings. Great. No problem. Come in. The fourth one was a case of, look, I tell you what, the next time you come bring bring a friend, and your meal is on me. Shit. Okay. So the fourth one. Now, what happens with that? As you look at it from a maths point of view, the first, second, and third time, you've got about a 20% chance that someone will come back. That's all? This, yeah, 20%. And this okay. is, this goes across any business as well, I might add. I've tr- yeah, tried it numerous times. The, th- the fourth visit, or the third visit, sorry, after the third visit, they've got a 75% chance of coming back. Dang. The fourth visit, if they bring a friend, they've got a 95 percent chance of becoming a customer for a long time. That's incredible. And that will go with you can apply that to pretty much any business. If you put that system into any business on a referral scheme and a re, like a retar- everyone calls it retargeting now, I guess. so you can do it with however, through Facebook ads or face to face, and you get that fourth visit. You've pretty much got that customer, unless unless you screw up. All those visits have to be flawless. Right, These experiences have to be flawless. Right, they have to be better than what they were the time before. But yeah, you got to get them for a long period of time. Get them four visits every time. That's fantastic. And, and that's how I grew. It. That was the main way I grew. It. And so you've used that throughout other businesses throughout your life. Yeah,
0: that's that's amazing. Like I've never heard anybody break it down like that. It's so simple, but so, and and then also it sounds like to me that you also in that process, you're also training your people kind of to always be on, always to be, you know, stepping up just a little bit more because I'm sure there's always someone that's new in the restaurant. And so it comes, it's almost infectious, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I have, I'm just looking at my whiteboard now because I actually wrote them all down. I have 30, 30 thoughts and theories that when I train people, I go through them step by step that they learn it so well, they can do it as easy as walking. And these 30, these 30 thoughts and theories are all related to custom service and success, time management and productivity, um, thinking ahead, financial, marketing. Like i just, over the years which developed them to such a point that i want to get you on a subconscious level right so that you don't have to think about it because the quicker you know you, you know what it's like with habits the quicker it gets into that you know the basal ganglia the better your brain's gonna gonna keep it you know that's, and it's gonna stay longer
0: so all right so move, I, I do i want to wrap up in just a second but you hit on the subconscious mind so i think that's important and it's been a it's been a, um, a very common conversation with almost every person that I've come in contact with via the, this podcast. And so, you know, a, about 90% of what we do maybe higher is run on a subconscious level. So give me an example of, well, I guess you kind of just gave me an example of how uh, you know, you, you kind of imprint into their subconscious mind what are something give me another example of what people how somebody maybe this can relate to or understand better about how they subconsciously do things
1: that they're not consciously aware of okay so <clears throat> a really easy one is called the bubble bath theory okay and this is actually this is actually one of my theories one of my thoughts so when you run a bath sure you don't see, you don't turn the tap on and sit there and watch it, do you? Typically no, I don't no. typically run baths, but so, if I were to then no. Well you would, you would you would put some some of the bubble bath in sure. you may go to the toilet, you may brush your teeth, you may go put the kettle on, you may light some candles like you do a number of different things without thinking about it. You just naturally do it because it it's stuff either you've been taught as a child. That's what happens or you've watched it somewhere or it's just how you relax. Normally when you go for a bath, it's a relaxing mode. It's something you're doing in the evening because de-stress and that's how marketing is done is all about the bath for de-stressing and stuff like that. So these elements of getting ready for bed, brushing your teeth, uh, putting, you know, cream on or something like, you know, whatever it kind of, you know, that sort of stuff. like. Sure you don't think about those tasks. You just do them. There was a time when you did think about them. Yes. There was a time when your brain really processed them. For instance, my boys go through it now when I say brush your teeth and they, they go like this because they want me to know how they can properly. No, little bit here, a little bit there circles, get you know, all that sort of stuff. So they're going through that learning phase now, but, by the time they're older, they ain't even going to think twice about it. That's very true. It's a multi, it's a multi, and this is, that's a prime example that I keep. That I think a lot of people can relate to with having a bath or, um, you know, making a coffee, putting a kettle on. You don't, if you, if you look to what you do on a daily basis, driving, driving is another prime example. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff you do subconsciously that you just don't think about it because you do it. And it's, From consistently training and training and training and learning, 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 learning so well that the brain no longer thinks about it. It doesn't have to think about it because it will process it. It wants to process that habit as fast as possible so it doesn't have to work as hard. The brain's super lazy. Right. Super lazy. Super lazy muscle. (laughs) It takes a lot to work it, but once you get those good or bad habits it's you know it's cemented in there and then it's up to you from discipline to keep those good habits going because it's very easy to go back to the bad stuff go back to the bad habits quite easily that's right uh, but it's for me i think there's, there's loads of different like times and stuff like that <clears throat> i've always found that 12 weeks is the benchmark from the so from day one of when you first learn something if you do that consistently every single day no days off every single day for 12 weeks it will become a lifelong habit no matter
0: what it is you do yeah that's interesting um you know it's funny when you brought up the car thing it's like you know you don't think about how to back out of the driveway you just fuck back out of the driveway yep and so when you were 16 you checked the mirror you know you checked every mirror and you know, there was a process of different shit you had to do. But now, a great example is you just, you just do it.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah I think that's your, interesting. Your shoelaces is another one. So true. Well, there was a time when you really thought and probably got very frustrated at tying shoelaces. Right. But then eventually you got it. Probably about 12 weeks time. You got it. <laughs> you don't think about it anymore. You just do it. Hell, I don't even tie my shoelaces anymore. I just, I just, I'm lazy. I, I slip them in. You <laughs> see what oh, effort to tie them now, right? You know? Right, right, right. That's so <laughs> funny. That, that extra thirty seconds is too long. I have my a little bit looser so I can slip my feet in. <laughs> no, that's too funny. That is too funny. I love
0: that. So, um, well, Roland, look, man, my man, I really, really, really appreciate you know you coming on and, and doing the podcast. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, I'm on I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty much I'm yeah Twitter. I'm pretty much active on most channels. Um, my website's being built at the moment, which is RolandSantos.co.uk. Uh, that's and that's where I'm starting to build out a lot of content on outbound sales and marketing. So that will be just be free content that's going to go out there to literally help as as many kind of people as possible to to just help grow their businesses. You know, I've been lucky. I've gone from you know, 40, 49 pence to now a six figure business two years later with ups and downs and it's going to continue to grow. So yeah, the website's probably the best place. And then from there, you know, they can follow me wherever or, or tell me to shut up, whatever they want to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Roland, thank you so much again. I do appreciate your time, dude. And uh, I know the people listening are going to, I know they've enjoyed the hell out of the story in your life story as much as I did the first time. So it got just as good the second.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you You, very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, brother, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye Bye. I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Successful Life podcast. If you have not already subscribed, please do. And look, if you really enjoyed today's episode email me at Successful Life podcast at gmail.com and tell me what it was you enjoyed. And if there's somebody that you want me to bring on, then email me about that and tell me who it is. And I'll make sure it happens. So, you know, leave us a review, tell a friend. And until next time, folks, have a good day. Thank you.